Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Yay! This is Tom Douglas, fresh off of Meatball Fantasy Madness. Uh, and uh, we are here at the uh, beautiful Hot Stove Society kitchen in the beautiful Hotel Andra. Yes, sir. And I'm Thierry Rotiro, the chef in a hat, and very happy to be here, as we do every Friday. If you haven't yet, you can sign up on a YouTube channel. Yes, and, subscribe uh, to the... look for Tom Douglas and Company and click on Hot Stove Society and find us every Friday morning live. There you go. Happy to have it. And then it just lives there, right? So you can go back yeah. and watch it if you want. Chef. Yes, sir. It's, it's always great to see you. Thank you for, for coming down and on our weekly visit. Oh. I appreciate that. We have a big show today. Uh, by the way, I have a few joints here around Seattle, including across the street, the Serious Pie downtown, and, of course, the Dahlia Bakery, which when I was in there this morning was jammed. And I should have stayed, but I had to come do this. Jam in the bakery is the perfect item. I know, I like with that. the hot donuts and jam. Mm, <laughs> delicious. Uh, it's Seattle Restaurant Week. It's returning right now. We're in the midst of it. It's uh, April 3rd to the 16th. It's uh, our biannual price fix dining promotion that happens all over the city. We'd love to see you out in our joints and uh, enjoying great food, uh, highlighting our craft and our diversity and our resilience and all the delicious things that happen in restaurants around the city. So uh, there's menus from 20 35 50 and $65, so you can choose your own experience or try a chef's tasting menu. I think it's a, great way, it's a great way to try a restaurant you have not tried or to just go through the list and go, oh, yeah, we haven't been there in a while. Exactly. Uh, today on our show, uh, Pamela has uh, drawn up a beautiful show for us including halibut. I had my first halibut the other day. I was making uh, some videos for our Rub With Love uh, site. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes people want to know how to use the rub, so they go to our site, and then we make a bunch of different videos of how to use the rub. I haven't had the pleasure yet, so I'm Thanks for your support. That. That's awesome. Anyway, so uh, halibut was one of the things that I uh, was working on. So just so you know, it's I generally, personally, is not if I have my choice between halibut, shrimp, and salmon at a seafood market, say, they're all, oh, man, these all look good. I'm a salmon guy. Oh, yeah. Salmon, definitely. My wife, Jackie, she's a halibut gal. She oh, loves wow. halibut. So. Interesting. Pamela, what are you? You're a salmon woman, right? Salmon all yeah, the way. Yeah, salmon all the way. Yeah. How about you, chef? Yeah, salmon all the way. So, Days and nights. So good, because we're going to talk about halibut then. <laughs> Who can we get to talk? Can we call Jackie to talk about halibut? <laughs> no. Uh, no, 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 but I I've love made, halibut, too. I've made tons of halibut, yeah. Rachel Bell's going to be here, the personality from yeah, Cairo yeah. Radio, talking about all the new food at T-Mobile Ballpark uh, with her uh, popular podcast. Is she going to talk about Passover, too? I didn't ask her to, but I put it in the show sheet because I want to. Maybe we can <laughs> put one in the can with her. I'm going to recap our favorites from last night's Meatball Fantasy Madness that happened right here. The, the place is still kind of... A Twitter about the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah, it was um, it was madness last night. I made six different meatballs, and man, were they good. You know, my favorite one was I took a short rib, and I cut it off the bones. You know, I just had the whole thing, and I just ground it up like you would for burger. Oh. It was so rich and delicious. I want to do that. That was definitely the crowd favorite. I took one home, too, and it was... It was meaty, wasn't it? Meaty? Yeah. It yeah. was very rich and yeah. unctuous and lovely. Lovely. The only thing I would have added different, maybe a little fish sauce to that. Our oh, annual Easter tribute to ham and all its possibilities, the Loire Valley white wines to celebrate the freshness of spring, which is... Kind of like your home territory, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Valley white wine. Love. This is the time of year where you do white and roses. Spring is 
popping and yeah. fresh goat cheese. You know, the goats are out. The grass is green. The fresh. goats are out. The goats are out. The grass <laughs> is green. The milk is Hate beautiful to bring it and to you, rich. Buddy, but the goats have been out at my farm for all year long. Oh, They're yeah? just lucky to still be alive. You're a savage. I was... <laughs> We put them in the bedroom in the winter. Oh, really? <laughs> Lastly, we're going to play Rub With Love Tasty Trivia, as we do every week. And we're going to pick somebody from our audience today. And I've got my eye on someone. Really? Uh-oh. Really now, do you? Because, you know, Terry and I like a little fresh meat now and then. Yeah, but uh, six people pointed to that man over there. I'm like, damn. <laughs> we're, we're in trouble. We're going to be in trouble. Okay, here. my taste of the week is obviously a meatball. Uh, I took some uh, short rib, as I told you, and... Uh, but uh, into that ground short rib, I only I ground it on the big plate of the KitchenAid. Okay. You know, I didn't used to like the KitchenAid grinders because they were plastic and they I just didn't feel like they, they heated up before right, they actually. Right, right. Now they make a, a metal version. Oh. It worked like a champ last night. Uh, it was the first time I'd used that version and I, I would buy it in a heartbeat. So yeah, I, there was I definitely, even... I, that's one of the reasons I didn't like it before. Um, I haven't tried this one, but it was because it would heat up. Yeah. And, and, you can't have meat heating up in a, in a grinder when you're making anything. Right. Especially sausages or pâtés or whatever. I think they must have had some feedback because this one works like a champ, and uh, I would do that again. So my taste of the week is taking short rib from the store and grinding it yourself. There's just something about what happened last night that was magic, and I love that. So. And what did you put in it? Oh, I put some soy and a little sugar, some salt. Uh, like I said, I would have added some fish sauce, green onions. Huh? Oh, and Ritz crackers were that the binder. <laughs> Ritz crackers. That was the crowning glory. Right. But one of the nice things Are you when you're writing making... a book on medicine of how to eat correctly? Or what's <laughs> one of the, the story? things about when you're grinding up your meat and everything, it's like you just put everything through the grinder, right? right I put right. garlic through the grinder. I put the Ritz crackers through the grinder. Right. Make crumbs. Everything's just boom, 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 boom. And you have a nice little force meat for your meatballs. Cool. What's your taste, sir? Ritz cracker. Um, I went to a place called Vivian Bistro last night. Uh A beautiful introduction to a place that needs some supply and some support because the food was really delicious. It's kind of a Chinese, I would call it modern Chinese. Um, It's really delicious. You know, it's a lady, Dana, who is Uh a uh, China Arbor and used to be Peonies. Yeah. She was on the show. I loved her her food when she was at Peony in Bellevue, but she's long gone from there. Right. And, uh, but I had a duck last night, a glazed duck, and she told me that was your favorite. Oh, so she's doing the same kind of uh, but with the lemon? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I was telling Pam, the key of that duck is those caramelized lemon slices. Yeah. That like takes it a notch, you know, up a notch and make it delicious. But she does it. It's perfect. The skin, the meat, everything is absolutely gorgeous on that dish. The buns, everything is really, really, really delicious. And that's over at the... China Harbor space, or is no, that no, the no. one on Vivian Mercer? Bistro is on Mercer Island. Mercer Island, yeah. yeah. It's uh, a. I heard to... she was kind of consulting on the China Harbor space too. Yeah, well, she's she's a chef for Harbor, for China Harbor too. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and uh, busy woman. Oh, yeah. I mean, she does uh, dim sum and uh, dinner house. So mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, I recommend Vivian Bistro for anybody who is close to Mercer Island to go there and give it a shot because it's really delicious Chinese food. The idea that you've been to a Chinese restaurant before me is shocking to me. You know what? I was thinking about And she actually said that then. She said, oh, he said he was going to be here first. And I go, no, I guess not this time. God, no kidding. I'm so embarrassed. That is terrible. Well, you know how you solve that kind of problem. Dana, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I haven't been there yet. I and can't you'll be there soon. I'll That's be the there soon. All right. Up next, it's uh, peak of the season halibut. 
uh, right here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Radio Show, 97.3 FM. It's time for Peak of the Season Halibut right here in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. Uh, You know, there is a competitive nature about our show. Like, for example, I'm distraught that you got to Vivian Bistro, uh, the Chinese Bistro, before I did. Oh, you're going to get over that quickly. No, it just bumps me out. I'm just distraught over the whole thing. The other thing that I'm uh, understanding is that our producer feels like she makes a better halibut than either you or I do. (laughs) It's possible. Maybe she doesn't go out as often as we do. <laughs> well, she does cook more fish than I do, probably, uh, from a home cook perspective. So, Pamela, tell us about uh, your favorite way to make halibut, and uh, why is it so darn special? It was a riff off of a Michael Chiarello recipe uh-huh. Uh-huh. and combined... Chiarello. Chiarello, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, it Basque-inspired, so... It, Make a beautiful fennel onion broth and uh, to steam clams in. And then uh, in the cast iron, brown your halibut. His recipe called on top of white beans that were flavored with saffron and chilies, but I went with basmati rice. And the whole thing came together because the halibut was crispy. The clams sucked up all the beautiful fennel flavor, and it just looked so pretty finished with... Uh, that parsley ale. What what do you call the parsley garlic olive mix? Uh, Romescu. <laughs> you know when you make a garlicky sauce. Uh, yeah, parsley. Ioli. <laughs> <laughs> so that is drizzled on the top with fresh oh, parsley. Uh, you know that sounds that sounds really good actually. It's that sounds spectacular. Yeah. So uh, why did you feel? Like you needed to change the recipe before you even tried it with the beans. I know. Exactly. So I was, that was going to be my first question, too. Yeah, I'm like, like, why didn't you do the beans? Because that was really the Basque. The Basque part of it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean the rice. They use I rice. I didn't have the I mean, time to soak them, and I don't like working with canned beans. Well, there you go. Well, that sounds delicious. Uh, Gremolata, I think, is what, you, is what you were what talking about. For. Yeah. So that's the parsley. Typically, it has a little grated fresh horseradish, lemon zest, parsley, yeah. And then you sprinkle it over top. So, so I think the important part of your recipe for somebody be, to be successful is two pans, right? Absolutely. You can't try to make that recipe in the cast iron pan. You can only sear the fish yep. and then make your other stuff in a different There were a pan. lot of dirty dishes. Yeah. It was worth it. Thanks for the invite. That's <laughs> really sweet. No, that sounds really good. I'm a, I'm a big fan of butter poached. Um, but again, you got to use the butter afterward. But butter poached the halibut, it's one fish that really, really takes well to that. Take a little bit of water or wine, white wine, bring it to a boil, and then incorporate like maybe a pound of butter. I know it sounds like a lot of butter. It is a lot of butter, but uh, you're not going to waste that. We're going to use it afterward. Um, and then you take your fish, and you make sure that it's submerged into the butter, and then you cook it very slowly. I mean, very slowly, like low flame, extremely low. You don't want any bunch of boiling going on because that would definitely break everything out. So you want to cook it very slowly until it's totally glu- uh, translucent and tender, and then the, the halibut flakes right out, and it, you just flake those pieces on your uh, plate, and you serve that with anything you want. Truffle is a great match to that. If you happen to have some nice perigord winter truffle, uh, shave that. How many people in the audience here, uh, just raise your hand, how many of you have a nice perigord winter truffle? Or would get, or would oh, get. okay, just checking. Would get, if they yeah. get the halibut, uh-huh. would get a truffle. 
Um, can, can we go back to the beginning for one second? I can't stop on this one. Are you saying you make a burr blanc when you butter poach uh, your fish? You're saying you make a, a burr blanc? It's kind of like to a, start with. It's it's. I've never of, done that. It's kind of like a burr blanc. It's not a burr blanc sauce. It's but you just, emulsified it, right? It's only butter emulsified. So it's a, it's kind of like a nage, wine. A little bit of wine, just because you need a little liquid. Normally, you could use water. That's a, that's how the process is. You okay. just use a little bit of water and you emulsify the butter in it. That's how it goes. But I like to put wine because wine brings a little bit more flavor to the broth, to, uh-huh. the, to the whole poaching. Um. So you said about a pound of butter in there. So how many pieces of fish can you poach in that particular mix? Well, if you do a pound of butter in a, in a pan um, that is about... Uh, two inches deep? Two inches deep and about 10 inch wide, uh, you can probably put four pieces. As and you as can you continue all night long. Now, if you're in a restaurant situation, you can correct. continue to use that poaching liquid exactly. all night long. And then... When you're done cooking, you use some of that butter to make your sauce. So a, a quick and simple way is to squeeze a little lemon in there and you have a lemon butter. Then you can put right over your piece of halibut along with your steamed broccoli and your rice and your whatever you're going to do with it. But you, that's, that's how you can use some of it. The rest goes back in the fridge and the next day or two days later, you can reuse that butter to do the same thing again with another piece of fish. The only problem with doing butter poach fish is... Then it's fish. So you can't take that and put it onto a pork shop. That would be a little that bit... butter. Yeah, yep. that would be a bit fishy. Yeah. But you can, you, you can use it with shrimp. If you're doing shrimp, that you know, a couple of nights later, you do shrimp the same way, and then you use those shrimp. And so slowly but surely, you use that butter. And so you're cooking on low the entire time. Extremely you have to have a little low. patience. Correct. It's going to take, you know, a piece of halibut in a saute pan, uh, you know, that's about an inch and a half thick. It's about... Eight minutes max. Uh, in this case, it's going to take 25 to 30 minutes. That's how much difference there is. So bad. It's going to be translucent and it's going to be so delicious. <laughs> Why? Because it's going to be like silk in your mouth. Like, oh, every flake of that halibut is going to be. <laughs> One of my favorite halibut stories is uh, there used to be a restaurant over on the coast called The Ark. You remember oh, yeah, the yeah, Ark I remember restaurant? that. Uh, Jamela, Jamela Lucas. Yeah. And... Uh, What's his James Beard actually? Yeah. They they went to his school in Portland, I want to say, and right. then he actually wrote about them early, Made early them on. This on. is in the it's got to be late seventies, yeah. um, and so this restaurant got very famous. And one of their claim to fame recipes was halibut du chef. Yeah, and uh, I, I never I had never been was, out there. I went out there once over the years, but I had never thought about it until their cookbook came out. Right. And this, the most famous recipe they had was halibut de chef. Which was a butter melted on no, top no, of No, no, no. It was a piece of halibut baked with tartar sauce on top. That <laughs> <laughs> delicious. Uh, frankly, I, it sounds pretty tasty to me. But, but it was the funniest thing to me that that is what became famous. And it kind of drove home the idea that, you know, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, which they were in Willapa Bay, right. uh, a lot of things taste good. Yeah. That you might not accept in a little more urban environment. Correct, correct. But the other thing that drove home is, you know, one of the reasons that halibut isn't uh, maybe the first fish on my list is that it's very lean. Correct. Compared to, say, a king salmon or something that has a lot of, a lot more fat to it. Ioli, tartar sauce, you know, things like that work beautiful with that yeah. kind of fish because it's adding fat correct. back to the fish. And, correct. And uh, that is in the, in the way of your butter poaching. Correct. It's, it's an important thing with halibuts to yeah. think about that. Yeah, and I think that's what makes... T- the halibut tastes so wonderful when you do butter poach. Is, like you said, it's got that silkiness that you don't normally have because halibut, 
again, doesn't have much fat. Very lean. Very so if lean. you want to do something really good to your halibut, you wrap it in bacon. And you cook it, <laughs> and you cook it that way. Now that would be another way to get a little moisture in your, in your fish and some very decent flavor also. Yeah. And then the other way is what Pamela did, which was make a little stew of something to put the halibut on. Right. And now when you, when you cut it with your fork, you're flaking it into the broth, and you're eating it with maybe a soup spoon or, right. or something like that. So. And in the summertime, uh, a little chopped tomato, uh, garlic, uh, diced shallots, all that make like a nice little compote and put that on top of your fish and bake your fish that way. Also another way to cook halibut, I think that does really well. You bake it with a covering so it doesn't dry out. It has tons of moisture in it. And it's going to take 10 to 12 minutes to get your nice piece of halibut completely baked and moist and flaky. And You don't see halibut serve skin on at all. No. I, I don't know why that is. I've, I guess maybe I've never eaten that skin enough to... I don't think that skin is that. edible. I mean, it's no, too the hard. The recipe that I use called for it, but I took it off. Yeah. I yeah, it's not, I don't think it's a very pleasant. I mean, salmon skin does beautiful crispiness, and um, halibut skin, never, I've never seen it done where you eat it. So, All right, here we go. It's time for our Rachel Bell to join us on the show. Coming up next, we've got two segments with her. She's one of my favorites. Right here on Cairo Radio, it's uh, Your Last Meal Podcast, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. We have a very lively audience today. They've just been fed, so they're feeling frisky. How was your uh, Dahlia Bakery breakfast sandwich? Did you like the mustard on it? Yeah, I love our little shallot mustard. That's, that's, a, that's a delicious thing. It's yeah, very delicious. I, agree. I used it on a rack of lamb the other day. Really nice. Okay, we're welcoming to the show Miss Rachel Bell, and if you're watching us on our YouTube channel, you can't see her, but her nose. There's my nose. There's everyone. your nose. <laughs> <laughs> the of uh, anyway, Rachel, thank you for coming on. You're one of our favorites, as you know. I'm sick of telling you. I'm uh, not sick cool of hearing it. Yeah, I love exactly. a compliment. Oh, you are a wonderful favorite. <laughs> I love coming on. So uh, you have a podcast on Cairo called Your Last Meals. I Does, do. Is, is it actually on Cairo or just on your own podcast? Um, well, Cairo owns it and okay. hosts it, but okay. of course, like any podcast, it is heard worldwide. You can listen to your last meal. There you go. Yeah. And uh, I was her first guest on the show. He was. I, he was yeah. my first guest. I and actually, that. one of the best, honestly. And I'm not just saying that. Yeah. You're yeah. Blowing and smoke you were, right now. You were on my um, fifth anniversary or my 100. No, yeah. The fifth anniversary episode uh -huh. last year, too. I never heard that one. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> your trip down to the ballpark. It's that time of year where everyone is uh, going to their first Mariner game. And they're discovering the new eats, the old eats, uh, all, the, all that thing. So tell us what you found. Yeah, so opening day is April 15th. And it always makes me laugh when I do these things because I do not care about sports at all. But the thing that I do love if I go to a Mariners game is to eat. So every year there is this event where the media is invited to come and try all of the new offerings uh, that they're going to put on the menu that year, which is really fun. So this year was one of my favorite, I have to say. Um, I'm going to start with kind of like a hot and exciting new item. Because for those who have never eaten at a Momofuku restaurant, which is David Chang's restaurants in New York, you can now get it in Seattle. And the what? only place is at the ballpark. What? Yeah. So it's called Fuku. And it's a fried chicken kind of branch of what he does. And so they have fried chicken sandwiches. And they have um, chicken fingers. And they have waffle fries. So that's what I was most excited about. Because I'd been wanting to try his fried chicken. Did you know he was in town? He wasn't He's not here. In town. He sent his minions. Yes, right. No, exactly. of course not yes. him. But I'm talking about. 
I didn't know you had moved to Seattle. That's cool. Yeah, for a while well, they were actually operating stadium right situation. They were operating yeah. out of a ghost kitchen for a little bit, and then they stopped that. And now yeah. they're just in the stadium. Yeah. Okay, so tell us, did it meet expectations? Here's the thing that's really hard with the fried chicken sandwich. When you're serving at an event like this and it's sitting under those lights, it's just not as good as it's going to be when it's fresh. But I will say that the flavor was really good. Uh-huh. I like the bun. I think it just, it'll be crispier when you go and order it fresh and they make it for you. So it didn't meet expectations. Is what I mean, saying. I was honest with the person there because she asked me and she said, I can see on your face you're not 100%. And I was yeah. like, God, why does my face look like that? Uh, and I explained to her and she agreed. Yeah. But they actually have a couple people that are permanently there to be there for quality control to make sure it tastes as close to how it's supposed to taste. So I think, like I said, once it's not like yeah, in sample never, sizes. They're going to cook to order at the stadium every sandwich, every I'm sure. So this single is never going to sit under a heat time. lamp at all. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Okay, so my actual favorite thing, my favorite bite, which sounds like something that wouldn't be ideal at a stadium but was delicious, is a Catch by Just Poke, which is a local poke chain started by these two guys who've been best friends since fourth grade. It's a really cute story. And I will say it is one of the best poke bowls I've ever had because the fish, the quality of the fish was so good and uh-huh. so fresh. And they had sushi as well. That was delicious. And I went on their website and just, they use, you know, as sustainable as they can. Um, line caught from the Pacific Ocean, triple checked, like everything you're supposed to do. So it's actually really, really delicious. That was my real favorite. Do they have a, a motor in, um, a motor place in, um, in your valley? Um, they Is might. That- they have over 16 locations, so they're oh, okay. all over the place. Yeah. And then another one I'm really excited about because it's one of my favorite fast casual places in the kit- in the city is Marination, which I'm sure you guys are really familiar with. So uh-huh. um, there's a couple people that are doing Spam Masubi this year. There's like a couple different restaurants, which is one of my favorite things. And then they're doing teriyaki, which is, of course, a Seattle Marination classic. Is? Yeah, they're doing um, like a luau plate lunch. You can get oh. teriyaki or Kahlua pork, huli huli chicken, um, and their mac salad, which is really good and they're doing their famous aloha sliders which are on those little wow. like squishy hawaiian that's rolls an amazing amount of offering that's- i know the whole room was filled with food terry i couldn't even eat it all like i'm just giving you the 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 bare minimum that's pretty impressive and then they're doing acai bowls now for people who want to be super healthy uh, at the ballpark and I, then I'm going back to marination yeah. i love their kimchi fried rice that's my favorite thing to order yeah when I go there yeah i like the kimchi quesadillas that's my favorite thing then one more cool thing that everybody knows how expensive it is to eat and drink i think last year i got like a very delicious big hempler hot dog and a beer, I think it was almost 30 bucks and I almost died. I was like, this is crazy. So this year they're expanding their value program and this is every single game. They have this menu of things that are three bucks, which includes hot dogs and things like popcorn and licorice. Um, and then they have all of these craft beers from local breweries in cans that are five or six dollars. So if you go on a value night, which I think there's like 26 games, including opening day, um, you can get a ticket for as low as 10 bucks. So Finally, for 20 bucks, you could get a seat, a beer, and a hot dog, which you could not do before. That's amazing. That is yeah. amazing. Age. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing that they're very excited about, but I was like, this is really what America needs, is now it's all you can drink refills on soda. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Just what just what just we need. Just what America needs. Just so what then you can go <laughs> wait in line at the restroom like every. <laughs> just just Float what we're away trying. from carbonation. Just trying to get them away from sugar, and nope, we're back right in. <laughs> I know. So what do you want to get at the ballpark? Because I have to admit, you know, as someone who goes 
maybe, you know, once every other year. When I go, I do just want a hot dog. I am so happy that they have all of this local food because for one, there's people who travel around the country going to different ballparks. This makes Seattle look like a good food town. There's all these families. Very local, I agree. So local, I know. He's the only one who's not. Um, And then, of course, you think of all these families with parents who never get to go out to eat because they have small kids and they're like, oh my God, I can finally try these restaurants at the ballpark. Um, But for me, since I am free and single and childless, I can eat wherever I want. And I just want like a juicy hot dog when I'm at the ballpark. Hanging for a date on our show? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm actually here to ask you a question. I'm down on one knee. (laughs) Uh, My favorite thing at the ballpark is to do the stroll, right? You get in, you get your seat, you get settled, you watch an inning or two, and then I'll do the whole stroll around the park to see who's got the brownest hot dogs. And I'm talking about, like, cooked brown. Okay. Like Like seared seared on the outside. The Maillard reaction. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, look at you. Mm. Uh, Anyway, that's my thing, and then I'll go back to that spot and have a hot dog. I'm so you just want to, to look at everything and smell it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And for me, if I, if I had to pick something, at the, it'd probably be a burger, actually. A burger. Because I don't go out to a restaurant to eat hamburger. You know, it's not really my thing. I usually try to eat other things. Yeah. And, but if I was going to the game, I think a burger would be a good, but a good burger. I want a, you know, grilled burger. And, of course you do, chef. <laughs> to eat it with a knife and a fork, mm-hmm. like a good Frenchman. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I can I can use my hand. It's okay. 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 But I'm I'm saying a good burger and some good fries that would be delicious. Unfortunately, you know, yeah, not necessarily the good thing. But. I'm a bit of a traditionalist at the park. Popcorn, pretzel, hot dog. All those are three dollars now, and yeah. I was mistaken. There are thirty five value games where you can get in for as cheap as ten bucks. Wow, very wow. impressive. Wow. So you're going to stay with us. We're going to talk a little bit about your podcast, your yes. last meal. And also, if we could sneak in a couple of your favorite Passover dishes. Oh, I would love to talk about that. Because we know that your mother was a fantastic chef. She's still with us. Was. She's still alive. (laughs) And she'll be here next weekend for Passover. Even though our show is all about (laughs) death, our mother's still alive. All right. When we come back, it's Rachel Bell on the Hot Stove Society radio show, Cairo 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's time for your last meal right here. We hope not. Right here on the Hot Stove Society Radio Show. Rachel Bell has joined us. And uh, Rachel, you are very well known for your podcast, Your Last Meal, uh, on Cairo Radio. It's also, you can do it from your uh, favorite podcast app. Yeah, it is technically not available on the radio as a podcast. It is available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and all of the classic podcast places, Spotify. When do you do it live? Do you ever do it live on Cairo? No, we don't do it live because it's a super produced show. So I interview a celebrity about what they would choose to eat for their last meal. And then after that, I go on a hunt to find people to talk about the science, the history, the culture of that last meal. And yeah, it takes, I mean, each episode probably takes like 24 hours to make. So definitely not live. Uh And I'm sure you're well compensated for that. (laughs) Oh, millionaire. Yeah. (laughs) Two times over. (laughs) So let's talk about one. uh, Have you had an interesting one lately that uh, might surprise people? Oh, I don't know about a surprise, but the newest episode is with Kenji Lopez-Alt, who is oh, now a Seattle cool. resident. Yeah. Um, and he is literally on every single podcast TV show on the front of every newspaper right now because he has a new cookbook out called right. The Walk. Right. Um, but the thing that I thought was the most interesting is since he moved to Seattle, um, some restaurant owners have coined this thing they call the Kenji effect mm-hmm. because when he posts on social media about, you know, oh, I love this bagel. I had a good slice of pizza. 
Suddenly there's a line down the block. Suddenly they're all out of bagels. And I was talking with him and I said, welcome to small town city America. Because uh-huh. can you imagine like if someone like him moved to New York and everyone was like, oh my God, he's here. Like in Seattle, it was such a big deal to us to have this guy here. Because I think even though we are a city, we are a little bit provincial in some ways. And, you know, we still like our biggest celebrities are left over from the 90s. And so everybody's like, Uh-oh. we got a, we got a uh, fresh Tom, one. Tom, Tom, I think she just talked about you and me. Oh, I don't think so. I think what she doesn't realize the 90s. we got a Kenji fresh one. came from New York. I know. Okay, so yeah. what you just said well, really no, he doesn't came from California super, too. super big sense. He well, you know at, what I mean, though. He started at Serious Eats in New York. Uh, yeah, right. He got, you know what I he mean, got right? very well known at Serious Eats, and people would follow him in New York. Yeah. It's not like he was just an unknown. In, I, I in think, Rachel, I think you forget the... You know, Seattle was like that very provincial 20 years ago, but I think we've moved up a little bit since then. We all have our opinions. <laughs> I stand by mine. So uh, so you talked to Kenji, and what was his last meal? Are you going to share? Sure, I can share that. His, so his last meal was Mapo Tofu. Uh-huh. Um, and so what we did in this episode, because... When he was a kid growing up, the version of mapo tofu that he ate was made by his Japanese mother. And there's a different version of mapo tofu in Japan. And it doesn't use Sichuan peppercorn, which is the defining feature of the Chinese original version. Um, But he loves both versions. So the rabbit hole that we went down was talking about Sichuan peppercorn because despite its name, you know, peppercorn, not pepper nor corn, discuss. Mm -hmm. It's not a peppercorn. Um, It's not even a pepper. And so I had this food scientist, this guy who studies spice on to talk about, you know, the botanical values, what it is. And I'm sure you both have had it. It numbs your mouth. It you makes your, lips. Yeah, it makes you tingle. Uh-huh. And that's so different than what a chili does with spice. It's different than what wasabi does when it goes up your nose. And so we talk about why that is, which you'll have to listen to the episode to learn more about. That's called mm. a tease in the radio that, biz. You know, the, the, the Lion Head restaurant from... Um, Jerry Tronfeld. Jerry Tronfeld. He used to serve a... A true, uh, or true, I think it was true, uh, Chinese dish of, of uh, Szechuan pepper like that. <gasps> it was like your whole mouth would just, your, your lips would just go, yeah. stop tingling, and you're like, wow. Yeah. I mean, that, was, that was really intense. That was very cool. It is cool. Yeah, one of the things that Kenji and I talk about, which might be the most useful thing from the whole episode, and I will spill the tea here, is that anybody who's you know, boiled eggs. The th- and this is with Easter coming up too. You know, it's so annoying to get the peel off. And he spent seven years, and I think, God, I don't even remember now how many, hundreds of thousands of eggs and doing studies to find the best way to cook an egg hard boiled to get really? the peel off. And the answer is so simple that I thought, why did this take seven years mm-hmm. and 500,000? But what they found is... We did them last night. You did? Yeah. yeah. Well, I did some yesterday for this was a tuna salad that I did for lunch I'm yesterday. talking about Kenji's way. Oh, you I'm... did Kenji's way. Yeah. And it's actually the way that I've been doing it for the past few years. So when he said it, I felt so smug. I was like, uh-huh. yeah, that's how I do it yeah, too. So, so what's, what's the difference? What you do, because I'd always heard for years, oh, you need to use older eggs. That's the thing. You know, if your eggs are too fresh, the shell, it has nothing to no. do with that. All it comes down to is lowering the eggs into already boiling water. Yes. If you put them in cold and you bring the heat up, then the shells are going to fuse to the egg. So already boiling water, the way I do them, I like an eight minute egg. It's still jammy inside uh, when you take them out fresh from the fridge. And then the shells do, they peel right off like that really fulfilling wallpaper feeling. So I tell you exactly how I did it yesterday. White vinegar and salt in my water, boiling water, gently Put in the egg in there very slowly so they temper as they, as they go down in the water. Eight minutes. Yep. Eight minutes from that to a cold 
water yes, bowl. Yes, that too. And then crack the egg and peel it in the water and it peels like, I mean, I could peel a hundred eggs just like that. Yeah. I don't know if you need the vinegar and the salt. Uh, ever I don't since, think you do because ever since I was this you're little, peeling it off. Yeah. No. Ever since I was this little, I thought... Uh, I was you're told, on the radio. People can't say, see what you just did. <laughs> ever since I was little, oh, I'm still little. So um, <laughs> when I was a child, <laughs> when I was a child, yeah, um, that's what my mom used to do and never... By golly, he's going to continue on no matter what. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. So if you want to listen to the show, you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts or at yourlastmealpodcast.com. I highly recommend the episode from two weeks ago. It's one of my favorites with Julia Sweeney, who uh, is a Saturday Night Live alum. Um, she was on the show Shrill recently, and she is one of the warmest, funniest people. You will want to be her best friend after you listen. All right. Can't wait for mm. that. Okay. We have a minute. <gasps> what are you most looking forward to eating during Passover? Oh, okay. So Passover is a meal of nostalgia. So I don't ever want anything new or fancy. Always matzo ball soup. Mm -hmm. um, full disclosure, I for my matzo balls, I use the Manischewitz box because that's what my mom did. And I'm, I'm afraid to make them homemade because they might not be as good, but I make my own broth and stock. Um, I make my own gefilte fish now because I'm oh, that oh, person. Wow. What are you grossing? You only, no have, you only have 30 people's seconds. Yums. You only have 30 seconds. I know. I'm trying to talk so and you're grossing fish? me out. Yes. I love gefilte fish, and when it's in the jar, it's kind of gray, and often it comes Gross. in gelatin. Yeah. When you make it yourself, it's this loaf, and it's delicious. I used the recipe from the cookbook, Gefilteria, um, and it's really delicious. There's a cookbook called Ge well, Really? There is <laughs> a Gefilteria. You're going to sit here and name your favorites for Passover and not mention a latka? That's for really? Hanukkah. Oh, that's for Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. I come on, nice. I get ewed for my gefilte, and then this non-Jews trying to bring in other foods from other holidays. What's, exactly. But my mom likes to make chopped liver. That's my, her favorite My favorite, favorite thing. Passover dish is Easter ham. Thank you, Rachel Bell, 97.3 Thank you. Thank you so much, Shalom. Rachel. Shalom. <laughs> Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio, coming to you from the beautiful, gorgeous Hotel Andra down at 4th and Virginia, downtown Seattle. If you ever want to join us, just get online on Friday mornings, go to our YouTube channel. Uh, what is it again? Tom Douglas and Company, and click on Hot Stove and you get There right you there. go, there you go. Chef, it was yes. a big first hour, now we have a big second hour. I'm uh, always looking We're gonna for that. We're going to talk ham, we're going to talk a little meatballs. We're going to talk wines from the Loire Valley, and we're also going to wrap up the show with our Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. Uh, there is somebody that's doing some, like, cramming in the back right now, cramming on food trivia. Like, they're getting ready for a college. I think he's getting the answer text to him. I know. They're getting ready for a college preparatory test or something <laughs> like that. They're just cramming back there. They're sweating on the brow. He's very nervous about us. I don't even know where that comes from, but yeah, go go ahead. <laughs> Let's talk Easter ham. Where I've, to order it and where to get your favorite preparations. I've already ordered mine. Have you ordered yours? No, because I actually uh, mostly do rabbit on, on ah. Easter. Um, but I do ham during the year at the time, uh -huh. but not necessarily on Easter. That was never... It's funny because that was not a tradition in my house. I mean, when I was a kid in France, that was not a tradition to do ham on Easter. When yeah. was, did you ever have ham? Yeah, we had ham on the other occasion. Like, uh, did you have like the French boiled ham that's sliced, or did you actually have a ham on the bone? No, ham on the bone, roasted in the oven, mm -hmm. you know, braised very slowly. But one that's been cured first, like a, correct, like a, correct. Like a regular. 
Yeah, a ham that's been cured on the bone, yeah. and then uh, lots of onion, lots of wine, put everything on the bottom of the pan, and then uh, put your ham in there, and then get a nice little roast on, and then turn it gently, you know, every hour, and give it a nice little caramelization uh-huh. all around the ham, and then finish with... My mom would usually do a, a glaze, but the glaze she was making was not like, here we use honey and everything. It was more like a, um, like a sauce, you know, more like a... Like almost like a chomula, where it was fresh herbs, right. thyme, garlic. I think that's very French in that you don't use sweet, yeah, sweet we don't, things we don't, in cooking like that. No. Um, we don't add sugar to things that don't. We, we like things to be, it's not, I'm talking about all France now. I, I'm, I'm speaking for all the French people. No, I'm just kidding. I'm talking for me. You know, sugar added is not. It it's never, just not in the culture. Like if you go does, to Asia from here, yeah. sugar's everywhere. You know, when I do, when I do Vietnam, I try to do Vietnamese dipping sauce. I always forget to put the sugar, yeah. and I always go, what's missing? And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah brown sugar. And it's funny because I finish the whole thing. I'm like, oh, this is good, but something is missing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, the sugar. You turn around and go towards Europe. You just don't see it as much unless you get up right. to England or areas. Yeah, and, so. and, and just like Asian, we use, we use a lot of um, salt. We use, a, I mean, you know, different flavor of salt, a different flavor of bitter, different flavor of – but sugar is never the number one item that comes to mind. It's yeah. funny. So my thing on ham is I – I like when I am cooking traditionally, I like to keep my traditions. Right. And that goes all the way from how I cook it, but also how I purchase it, right? And where I get it from. I like the traditions of using the same smokehouse and the, you know, buying it all whole on the bone right, from the right. same butcher. Like I already have ordered mine from Donnie down at Don and Joe's. Right. Who, by the way, if you've never met Donnie, you don't have much time. He's trying to sell. If you ever want to open a butcher shop, now is the time. You can buy Don and Joe's in the Pike Place Market. What a spot. What a spot. Uh, but Donnie's been trying to sell for a while, but that's an old-fashioned business, and it's oh, yeah. cold in the winter, and, it's, you know, I'm just saying that's a that's – a, I, a I don't know that it's a rough go, but it's, it's a dedicated go, right? If you need somebody passionate and dedicated who's not – who just want to be a butcher. Right. You know, so and, and I order my Thanksgiving turkey from Donnie. I could buy it anywhere. I, I, I can buy exactly the same turkey from – from maybe from the Ballard Market, right, I don't, right, I don't right. know, but I love the tradition that carries through in the purchasing, the thinking about it, the trip to the market, bringing it home, sure. ripping the my fingers off by carrying the twine bag all the way through the market for four blocks with a twenty pound turkey in it, uh, you know that kind of thing is yeah, yeah. yeah, and then complaining about it when I get home. So the ham's the same way. So I get the Hempler ham uh, from it's, it's smoked up in Bellingham. I get it. I get it all whole on the bone. Um, one of the things you have to worry about when you get a whole ham like that is uh, what's the fat cap look like? Right. Not so much about the, having too much fat on it. It's hard to get too much fat. But if I'm going to glaze it or roast it or do something with it in the oven, I don't want to do it all to the fat and then pull it out and then trim the fat off, right? That just makes no sense. So, By the way, a little fat will not kill you. It's actually no, good. not a bit. So if it's got skin down halfway, you know, uh, still on the on the. Ham, I cut the skin to the spot where I want it because we're not going to eat the skin either. Right, right. Uh, uh, so then uh, I glaze and I roast the parts that we're going to eat. I make a little espresso orange chili glaze for it. Uh, it's quite delicious. Espresso bean, a, oranges, and... Espresso powder. I mean, espresso, yeah, yeah. not beans. Yeah, it's ground. in my first book, Seattle Kitchen. You could buy it, Chef, if you want. Really? Yeah, it's awesome. Mine has spider web on it. I have one. <laughs> I just don't... Uh, you just don't use I it. I just don't use it. <laughs> So but, it, I, but it's a sign copy. <laughs> I roast it in the oven, and mine's a little bit, my glaze is a little bit sweet, so that when it's in the oven, it caramelizes and gets all 
toasty awesome. And then I pull it out, I slice it, and I put the rest of my glaze. After I've sliced the whole turkey or the whole ham up, I've put the rest of the glaze. I kind of brush it on mm. with a pastry brush. And so what, what do you Easter serve ham. with your ham? Oh, always scalloped potatoes, right? Uh, typically this time of year, you get some first of the season asparagus. Yeah. A big, big pile of uh, yeah. roasted or steamed asparagus. Um, what else do we serve with? Jackie always makes hot cross buns oh, because yeah. she has some to share. Uh, get it, Jackie Cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah Jackie yeah, Cross. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I think strawberry shortcake, or you know, something of something like that. Something sweet. But it's also when I do my little Easter trick for the kids. Yeah, I uh, please do tell, do tell, because I love that story. Well, the thing is that I, I, people are tired of this story, but no, no, I never think heard it's it. fun because it's it's fun to torture children, is basically. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's so I, I buy the plastic eggs that come in halves, right? And then I put money inside that they can hear when they shake, but I super glue the eggs shut so they can't get it open. <laughs> and they get very so you, frustrated, and sometimes they cry. You see this? You see? You see this four years old? This four year old kid, mommy? Yeah. I can hardly wait. It. You know, I have a one year old grandson, Hercules. I can no, hardly wait. I'm sorry. Think, I don't Rory. think he'll, he'll get it uh, this year. I think next year he'll be old enough to understand that he can't get it open and start to weep. <laughs> <laughs> Who does enjoy to see kids crying? I, I don't have know. To, check this out. I have to babysit on Saturday night. I've never babysat my grandson before by myself. Hercules and I, we're going to work out. <laughs> we'll, we'll see it in the news on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> coming, coming up next, it's time for a little meatball magic, madness, and fantasy right here on the... Hot Stove Society Kitchen Show, 97.3 FM. Come on, Tom. That is the rising tide of our audience right there clapping for the Hot Stove Society radio show. My name's Tom Douglas. And I'm Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And uh, Terry, you look awesome today. I just got to say, your your new mask that you're wearing is really beautiful. And um, I'd kiss you, but you have a mask on. Yes. Yes. And indeed. that's purposely that way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Last night, right here in this very kitchen studio, the Hot Stove Society Kitchen Studio, we had one of our public classes. You know, we do all sorts of classes here. I would say 50% are kind of uh, businesses that hire us to do team builders, you know, dumpling right. challenges or whatever it is. Somet- sometimes we do... My, I think my favorite kind of thing is the bridal. What's the night before you get married? Rehearsal dinner. The rehearsal dinners. That's my favorite here because so often um, you get stuck at a rehearsal dinner with a family you don't know. You're sitting next to somebody for the whole night that you don't know. And I know it's, it's kind of a slow way to make your groundbreaking. But here at the hot stove, when this family and that family challenge each other to dumplings and you're drinking wine and you get to know the family. Yeah. It, it's super fun, and it's uh, one of my favorite things around here. Anyway, last night, we had uh, I have a, re- a restaurant plan in my life called Meatball Fantasy. That's the name of this restaurant. I've, I've built it out a few times. I've talked lo- about it a few times. I've yeah. had a, I have a logo for it. Let's do it. I just haven't found Pamela is a meatball fanatic. Fanatic. And so uh, since she is the current executive director here at the Hot Stove, she put this class on oh there's my there's Cla- my logo. classy logo i like it yeah uh she put this class on so last night i was the instructor and i made six different meatballs for you meatballs you've never made before 
Correct. Wow. And so I was kind of, uh, you had picked these. Tell me where you got all these recipes. Food 52, is that right? Or Eater, the Eater. national edition, uh-huh. which is a great food ne- newsletter. If you guys don't follow it, it's worth subscribing to. There's uh, the national edition, but each city has uh, a reporter as well. So you get hot tips there. But this was that all of the editors around the country, their favorite meatball recipes. Okay, and so I reproduced them last night. And one of the things also we do here at the Hot Stove is we don't just show you how to make a meatball, but we uh, try to help show you why this particular meatball is better than that. So last night, uh, one of the the very first recipe was turkey and and feta. No, that was turkey ricotta. It was chicken and feta meatballs. And so we tasted cow's milk feta, which is the cheap, inexpensive one that you can buy at the grocery store that says feta on it. Shouldn't, but it does. And then also we had the real Greek feta that's all sheep's milk um, right. from Greece. Right. And so it's hard to s- decide to spend the extra 3 or $4 on the same size 8-ounce pack of feta unless you can really tell the difference. And so that's right. one of the things we try to do here. So last night we did a feta tasting, and I think all but one person preferred the sheep's milk. Absolutely. It's so much the kind of thing that makes you a better cook at the end of the day, right, is when you use better ingredients. Yeah, and you, um, and you don't use as much also because the cow doesn't have as much potency and it's well, just I, not I the used, same flavor. I used plenty of both. So, uh, And then also, you know, one of our meatballs, we had soy sauce, so we brought in three different kinds of soy sauce because, you know, one of the questions we get asked a lot on the show is, when do I use the good olive oil, right? When do I use the cheap olive oil, all that sort of thing. So I brought in a $30 bottle of soy sauce, a uh, regular kind of typical dark soy, and then a sh- uh, tamari. So like, because tamari's uh, right. gluten-free, right? So it's like, so we taste those. We do, do all this. Um, getting back to my meatballs, did Pamela, did you have a favorite last night? Well, that short rib one was something special, but the turkey ricotta stood out for me because that one didn't have any carbohydrate filler. It was ricotta and parm, uh-huh. and so it made it super light. But I think my top, top favorite taste was the lemon sauce on the chicken meatballs. So we made like an almost like an avag lemono, that Greek soup, that lemon Greek soup. Oh, yeah. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost into a sauce, a green olive so lemon sauce. So reduce it down a little bit? Yeah, you actually use flour as a roux to right. make this lemon sauce. So um, super fun. I liked, oddly enough, the chicken meatball a ton with the feta. Because the feta, uh, if you go downstairs and have our chicken meatball and feta soup with orzo, mm-hmm. it's just my favorite soup right now. It's my favorite lunch. It's a super light lunch, uh, and it's uh, there's something about that salty, bright, briny feta that uh, takes the meat of the meatball and just kind of nourishes so all crum- the different flavor of it. Crumble feta mixed with the ground, ground, chicken, ground chicken? Chicken thigh. Chicken thigh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, and, the best part of the chicken. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, it's just put together with tons of garlic and... That one didn't have any bread in it either. No, no binder. I think it had an egg in it as the binder. Yeah, that's that's what I do when I do meatball. I do. I will always go for the egg first versus the breading. I'm always a, a big fan of doing the, the egg first for the rolling yeah. of the meatball. So, how do you like to hold your meatball together? Because like when you're just making a ground meat, if you don't do something to it, it has a tendency to want to fall apart. So. In my mind, either you take a wooden spoon or a rubber spatula and you work the meat. You work the meat, right? Right. Or you can take that same mix and put it in your KitchenAid mixer right. and beat the, the, the force meat. Right. And it becomes pasty, and that paste holds the whole meatball together 
If you go too long, it makes it tough when Correct. you cook it. Or rubbery, yeah. Or rubbery, yeah. yeah. But if you keep it lighter, uh, just do it for maybe a minute, it brings it together, and you don't need any breadcrumbs. Yeah. Usually, I take my grind meat into a bowl, and I just add an egg yolk in there, or an egg, a whole egg, a not whole an egg, egg yolk, yeah. and uh, whatever herbs I want to put in there, seasoning, I don't touch anything. And then at the last minute, I mix the whole thing with my hand, uh-huh. and then I right away start forming the balls and put them away on the parchment paper. And then throw them in the freezer because I usually do about eighty to a hundred at a time. I don't. I don't ever do. I don't do meatball very often. And if I do, I'm going to make a hundred at a time so I can. I can't even imagine you making a meatball. <laughs> you know, last I was time I'm just I- trying to picture it right now. I bet they're guys, delicious, Chef Terry. You know, Mr. Foie Gras. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, even I know. Imagine. I eat foie gras three hundred sixty-four days out of the year, and one day I eat meatball. Yeah. <laughs> Because you serve foie gras in your restaurant, people think you eat foie gras no, every said, day. I can't imagine you making a meatball. It seems, you couldn't be alive if you eat you foie gras like every day. I can see you making like a salmon sausage. No, of course I can make With a salmon whites, sausage. You know, and I have like made that. salmon sausage. I know you have. But that's not... I mean, a meatball... I, again, I just made some recently, like a couple of months ago, and I put them in the freezer because I was thinking... I, I tried to do a, a, meat, a meal for my kids. My, my kids are not kids. They're 31 and 27. But... Um, you know, I try once a week to just bring them something. So the meatball is a perfect thing. I had a bunch of, I, had a, I remember I told you I had a bunch of veal top brown and some beef and some chicken. Mm-hmm. So I mixed the whole three things together on that ground. I have a meat grinder and I just ground the whole things through the grinder and then spices added to it and um, chopped shallots because I love the flavor of that bite that, of that sweet uh, shallots inside the meatball and then egg. Roll the whole thing together and then put them on a sheet pan, put them in the freezer. And when you're ready to cook them, you take them out. You just let them thaw out a little bit. And then I do brown butter cooking, you know, and that's how I cook my meatball. <laughs> this is, One of the, I, think I don't use a little, gras, but I use brown butter. There's a little technique when you're making meatballs, cooking them, right? right? Where when you're browning them in the pan, a lot of the pan gets brown. You get a lot of oh, yeah. pan drippings in there. I love to take my tomato sauce. I'm making spaghetti and meatballs. Put that tomato sauce in there and braise the, the meatballs for the last yeah. five minutes yeah. in that and let the, let the tomato sauce pick up all the drippings off the pan. Absolutely. Really good. I would actually even remove the meatball and start with the onions. You oh, know, start then with your sauce. Start with the onions in there and then do the deglazing with all that, a little white wine, tomato, basil, oregano. Cook that very slowly and then put the meatballs back in it for the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. All right, Chef, uh, with, this, uh, with our meatballs, we're going to yeah. drink a little French wine. Uh, not with the meatballs, but yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, we are. No, we're yes, drinking we white are. from the Loire Valley. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's French wine. Okay. Just wanted to make sure we were clear on that. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have meatballs and French wine on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. <laughs> All right, we're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. Thank you for joining us today. Hopefully you're in your garden. Man, last week, yesterday was so... Stuff is popping. It was shocking to walk outside and be 75 degrees. We already drawn the figure of our garden with Kathy. We sat down and we're going to have haricot vert. We're going to have beets. We're going to have chards. We're going to have carrots. You actually plant out your rows and everything? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We draw it. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Chives. I got if you need some chives, I got chives. Okay. I also have uh rib uh, Do you have any French white wine is the question. Oh yes, I love French white wine. Do you? 
And so I know you're from an uh, area south of Nong. Yep. Pretty, pretty good, huh? That was very good. Yeah. And uh, so the Loire Valley wines were a big part of how you grew up yep. and where you grew up. And Pamela and my wife are big Sancerre fans. Yeah. Whereas I tend to be a more Chenin Blanc person, a more Vouvray or something of that, that ilk. So let's my give, crossword puzzle, ilk. Let's give the profile a little bit. There okay, is, you, you tell us the profile let's start of with the about Loire four, Valley wines. The four or five main, okay. you know, doctors that we find in America, the, the four white wine from the Loire Valley are usually Muscadet, which is probably the least known uh, of all the other uh, four. Uh, Muscadet is where I'm from, and it's a very, very dry uh, white wine. It's the, the grape is called Melon de Bourgogne, which is a Melon of Burgundy. Um, but it is a very, uh, very acidic wine. You would to describe it correctly, I guess, as a you know good term or easy term to understand. So, it goes super well with raw oysters, shellfish of any kind, especially raw. It's a perfect match. It matches really well, and mainly because if you think about eating an oyster and having a, a dry white wine, acidic, that makes perfect sense. I think it's interesting how wines become fads because Muscadet, when I first started drinking wine in the late 70s, early 80s, was one of the wines to drink. That was Muscadel. was basically not even heard of. Wasn't it Muscadel? No, that's Muscatel. <laughs> I know. That's Wasn't 20, that what you're 20% talking? alcohol, and that was in the curb. <laughs> okay, I'm just, I'm just making sure okay. you're not. I, but I just do think that wines go through fads like Oh, yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah, like, you don't. Hear about Lambrusco anymore, or Suave, or Suave anymore, right? They go through little fads. Maybe a okay, reason. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. Anyway, Muscadet. So, now, what else? So, by the way, we're at the end of the Loire Valley, which is on the Atlantic coast. The big town is uh, Nantes, the big city, which is a sister city of Seattle, actually. Now we're going east towards the inside of France, where the Loire River goes and flows flows the other way. But um, so the next part of the Loire Valley is Angers and Saumur. So you get to this area of Angers and Saumur where they have Chenin Blanc, which is close to Vouvray as well. You know, Vouvray being the, the most known town in America for Chenin Blanc. Again, formerly a very popular wine that's Correct. kind of fallen out of favor a little bit. Well, it, it, I think it started with the, the more like the sweeter Chenin Blanc, the late harvest or the, you know, that's how it became very famous at the beginning. But now it's much more, you know, people have a little bit more, you know, discovered more wine and, and uh, it's a very good food wine. I think it's... Those wines are very good food wine. Bouvray um, for Easter with your ham. That's a yeah. pinnacle, oh, yeah, yeah. pinnacle flavor combo. Absolutely. Oh, your meatballs. You were talking about meatballs earlier. <laughs> Chenin Blanc and meatballs, excellent. Okay. So then you move east and you end so up... So Samour is Cabernet Franc? Well, in red, yes. In red. In white, it's... Uh, they also have Gamay, a little bit of Gamay, uh, like in the Beaujolais region. And they also have, in the white, uh, they have Chenin Blanc and Sauvignon Blanc. They use both. Um, then you move on to Sancerre, and that's like the capital of, of Sauvignon Blanc for at least for the this world. Co- for this country, yeah. we, that's what we know. Uh, you know, so Sauvignon Blanc used to be fifteen bucks a bottle. Now it's like uh, whatever. But of course, all the New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc right now, you know, it's right. very much the style of Sancerre. Yeah. Sauvignon Blanc, I've definitely uh, picked up. And what's cool about the only thing that I like about the the craze of the Sauvignon Blanc is. If you remember, 10, 15 years ago, a lot of Sauvignon Blanc were sweet. They were soft. They were, they were not real Sauvignon Blanc. But now they're picking up towards the Sancerre profile, which is, you know, that limestone. You know, the Loire Valley has a lot of limestone. So it's very, um, you know, almost chalky kind of idea where you feel that you, when you taste your wine, you feel that a little bit of dryness in the backbone of it. 
So it's a very um, and beautiful floral, you know. So it's the nose is gorgeous. Pamela, so, will you jump in with a recommendation on brand for Sancerre? Do you have a favorite? Uh, I know Jackie loves the Reverdy. Do you have a favorite one? Uh, I would confirm that that is also my favorite Reverdy. So, Reverdy, yeah. Reverdy, yeah. yeah. Uh, in the old days, when I had Rovers, Paul Cotta, L'Ecu de Beaujeu was one of my mm-hmm. favorites. Oh. Could you talk uh, about the affinity with Sauvignon Blanc and goat cheese, please? Because oh. that is quintessential spring. So if you ever have a chance to go through the Loire Valley in France and visit the chateaux, you will often see a little sign on the side of the street that says goat cheese. You know, you stop at those little farms and there's a, a man or a woman come out of the farm and you can have a little bunch of little goat cheese, all many different shapes and form, and fresh and a bit older, ashes, no ashes. And those are just quite essential, made to go. Or it just goes so well with that Sauvignon Blanc of the region. It's just amazing. So when you're in the Sancerre area, you know, you just visit the chateau and the farm, and then you drink those two together for lunch. It's just a marriage in heaven. It's absolutely incredible how it matches to the tea. And I think the... The, uh, the fact that it's in the limestone again and all that stuff, it's very, um, I think that's, that's probably why. Because, you know, when you have goat cheese with a little ash around it or whatever, it finishes in your mouth a little bit like dry limestone kind of idea. So I think that's one of the reasons it matches so well. The I'm minerality not, in the wine. Yeah, exactly. So does the valley keep going up then? It never comes back to the coast, right? Oh, no, no, it never comes back. Yeah. It goes, the reason is because it actually doesn't start on the coast. It starts in the center of France goes yeah. up a little bit and then turns left and go west. Okay. So Sancerre is basically towards the end of the turn, and then there is, you know, then you go down into Puy-Fumé, and um, then they start doing Chardonnays, and, you know, then you go lower, you know, yeah. as you get towards the center. But um, the Sauvignon Blanc, I think, is probably the most known grape of the Loire Valley uh, worldwide by now, I would say. And then, uh, what are some of the more famous reds? Is Chinon in that valley? Chinon right? is in the valley. That's right before, uh, right after Sancerre. Mm-hmm. You have Chinon. You have uh, Tours, Saumur. We're talking about Saumur. So they have Cabernet Sauvignon in red grapes. They have Cabernet Franc, which is a big, big Chinon uh, grape. And then they have Gamay. And then those are the, probably the three main grape red that they grow in. The and Cahors is in the. That's below Bordeaux. Yeah. So that's a whole different area. That's completely also different area. Cabernet Franc and correct. Uh, Merlot. Yeah, I was thinking the one from Argentina, or the one that begins with an M. Oh, Malbec. Malbec. I'm sorry, you're yeah. right. It is yeah. Malbec, not yeah. Merlot. Yes, southeast of Bordeaux. So that's not even close. No. All right. Five Vouvray to go with your ham. Yeah. Maybe even a demi sec. I think that's what I admire the most about the French naming system is that there is a lot of information on the labels if you choose to memorize the French laws of Appalachian Control E, unlike the United States, where we have not gotten organized yet about our naming traditions. Uh, If you memorize the French rules for grape-producing areas, you'll know uh, that a Samor is made from Sauvignon Blanc or a Pouli Fumé. Vouvray is always going to be Chenin Blanc. Right. And Muscadet, to your point, I think um, a lot of the inexpensive Muscadet was flooding the United States, but now the sophisticated one is Muscadet Sur Lee. Right. And what that is telling you is that it, the wine has spent some time on the yeast lees. So it's richer. It's not that cheap Correct. Muscadet. It's got a much, much nicer structure much of the wine. Yeah. 
And I mean, when I was a kid, some of those wines you couldn't even drink. They were so acidic. They were like cheap, cheap, cheap. They were very... It was... When I was a child, it was more volume-oriented. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, next generation... You were drinking a lot when you were young. Is that what you mean? No, but you try wine. I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you, people are at the table. We kinda, it was volume. We kind of glossed go. over Chenin Blanc a little bit. In, I know. It and, deserves uh, the attention. I, I, oh, I it's love, so delicious. It ages beautifully. Beautiful. Uh, Beautiful. Sometimes you don't realize, but... a. a Eight or ten year old Chenin Blanc can be a really nice wine. Yeah, absolutely. And and a late harvest Chenin Blanc. You know, in the old days, a few hundred years ago, the, the, the Dutch would come by boat and they would come through the Loire. And that was one of the wines that they would take back is the late harvest Chenin Blanc or wine like this. Because they found that they were the wine that would last the trip to go back mm-hmm. and they wouldn't be completely. Uh, because of the high sugar content. Right. Bricks, so, as they say. Right. I mean, those are. Like the Coteau du Léon and all those wines. Oh, so delicious. I know. When Pamela, Pamela and I were first in the wine business uh, years ago, there was a brand in town called Mont Mousseau. Yeah, Mont Mousseau. That was the capital of Vouvray. Right, yeah? Yeah. yeah and, uh, Biggest negociant in Vouvray. Big. He's big. He's big. I mean, they do sparkling. They do, and they do everything. I think they even do cider. I think I remember seeing cider from them. They go to Normandy and, you know, they have a little... They raid Normandy and steal their cider. Exactly. We thought we were so cool when we were drinking that. I know. <laughs> hey, you know what? Every time, every every section of your life is a page. You know, you just yes. keep going. You know, oh, it's like, that's a nice way. We were so cool on page twenty-seven. In 1980, I was working at a wine distributor called Diversified Imports. With oh, your, I remember that. With your now husband, and uh, the um, Mousseau was one of our in-house oh, yeah, brands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary from Diversified. Yeah, Gary. Uh, Seifert. Seifert. Good job. Yeah. Gary and Marlene. Yeah. When we come back, it's time for Food for Thought. Tasty trivia brought to you by Rub With Love Spices. Right here on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to Rub With Love. Tasty trivia time here at the Hot Stove Society Radio Show. Uh, Rub with Love uh, is a family of spice blends that I own. Tangy sauces and a perfect shallot mustard. You hear what I said, Chef? Perfect I heard that. shallot mustard. Keep them in your cupboard to assist you in building out the flavor profiles for your veggies. I made duck the other night with the pizza rub, proteins, grains, you name it. They work on everything. It's available locally. Most grocery stores like QFC and Fred Meyer also made in Washington stores, including the SeaTac Airport stores. It's my favorite thing to do. You know, when I go traveling, I stop at that store and I buy rubs because... At SeaTac? Yeah. Where? Get our sales so, numbers in Washington, up. yeah. Oh, wow. You can find the... I guess the Mariners are in Minneapolis playing the Twins right now, and you can find them at Kowalski's Cub Foods and Festival Foods in, in Minneapolis. So. Cool. Today's prize, Pam, is going to be the mustard and a, a jar of the Bengal Masala rub. It's good because we have two people here that are intending fully on taking us down. And I don't could like give it. them each a set because they don't live together. So they oh, okay. each need a set of the prize. Wow. Oh, really? Uh, I'm, I'm fancy today. Yes, you are. With your money. <laughs> Tell people how to play the, play the game, if you would. Uh, well, Jim and Drew, father, son, are one uh, contestant against Terry, against Tom. So three contestants each get five questions. There's going to be a loser. And there's going to be a winner. Uh, Mr. Otero. Yes, go ahead. Hit me. Which seafoods considered a delicacy today 
uh, were once uh, were working class foods. Lobster. That's one Scallop. of them. Lobsters. And something in the shell. Oysters. Yay! Number two. Name the five ingredients in a profiterole. Five ingredients in a profiterole. So flour. Yep. Water. Because that's how you start. Uh, you start with water, butter, flour, eggs. Yes. Ooh, I thought you were going to You said five, it. but I'm only at four. Sugar? Yes. <laughs> Thank that's, you. That's actually not mandatory, but yes. I'll go with that. That's six ingredients, by the way. I didn't count water. What is nori? It's a friend of mine who lives in... <laughs> just teasing. It's a seaweed. <laughs> Thank you. True or false? Baba ganoush is made from aubergine. Yes. True. Aubergine is a French word for eggplant. Thank you, you so it. much. And finally, what is the name of the Indian bread cooked in a tandoor and Numb. yeast leavened? <laughs> five for five. Oh, my oh, God. Way to attack, chef. Way to attack the field. All right, Jim and Drew, he threw down the There's gauntlet. There's two of them, Tom. I, I was like, I feel so good. Oh. <laughs> Number one, where is the fried cheese dish uh, Saganaki from <laughs> that you might have? With a name like that. Japan? Greece. <laughs> close. <laughs> close. Close. Very close. You've been there. <laughs> we need to plan a trip. Boy, some family discord already after one question. I don't know if they're going to make You're it been, to five. <laughs> Number two, what are churros traditionally served with? Sweet. Sugar. What? Sugar, brown sugar. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's brown because they add cinnamon <laughs> to it. Yeah. What's a common dip? Sugar and whipped cream. Chocolate sauce. Yes. Um, Italians have a pasta shape named farfalle. What is the shape? Yes! I was getting ready to give you a hint of Bill Nye. I'm not doing well here. They didn't need it. True or false? McDonald's burgers don't rot. That's true. It is true, sadly. salt. Sadly true. So you can leave them on a counter and they'll just be fine? You can't They're eat them. Fine. They don't mold. <laughs> they don't mold. I they had one in my classroom. It's been there for two years. Wow. <laughs> wow. We two years. More. <laughs> that's, a lot of, that's a lot of time looking at it. You guys are doing <laughs> tremendous. What is the name of the sweet treat made with graham crackers with chocolate and marshmallows? <laughs> Definitely some more. Yay! Yes! Second place. You know wow. what you're called without the chocolate? Some less. Oh, did you? Di- is that a first time for that awful joke? You just came up with it. That's good. That was really good. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah, Jerry, thank you, you guys. Do. Four out of five. Are done already? Yeah. Wow, that was fast. Um, I guess it's me next. Yes, please, Mr. Douglas. All meatball questions. Complete the <laughs> sentence. The world's oldest person said, the secret to a long life is sleep and... Whiskey. <laughs> Sushi. Sushi. Oh, wow. Number two. Please name the Vietnamese sandwich with pork, veg, and liver pate. It's not a banh mi. It is a banh mi. But it's a type of banh mi. Do they have a the original banh mi. The original. The original banh mi is with pate in it. So a banh mi is just like a torta. It's like just the name of a Vietnamese sandwich. It right. can have different fillings, though, right? Well, the actual the, the banh mi sandwich was originally... With pate and with uh, bacon and or pork, depends on what the slice then they have. But and the Good pickle veg, pickle veg. 
In the Caribbean Sea, which snail do they use for escargot? The Please. slowest one. Because <laughs> that's how they catch it. <laughs> I like it. Okay. The, the, the one on the leash. <laughs> the answer is conch. Oh, wow. What is the Korean clay pot bowl with rice, egg, and veg named? Babimbap. Babimbap. <laughs> yes. Babimbap. 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 Yeah. Um, what are the two methods for curing ham? One is kind of like the nitrate method, I guess you would call it, which is what most commercial hams are right. cured with nitrates. Uh, the other one, I would say, is a wet brine. You're pretty close. I think uh, I think we'll give him Those that Those are one. the two types. It's is... either dry cured yeah. or wet cured, yeah. so that's a yes. So, screaming into the lead, winner this week, Terry Rotro. Yay! That means that I'm the loser and I have to buy, both buy the, yeah. the dad and son. Yep. And deliver it to them. And deliver it to them. That yeah, is it's just tough. Not, just Life not right. Tough. If you want to be part of our show, you can buy tickets to join us here in the studio at hotstovesociety.com. Or you can watch our taping on YouTube at youtube.com backslash C backslash Tom Douglas and Company. Show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Sean McFadden is our technical director, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and have a fabulous weekend.